0: Everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and I have Mike back again, once again. I'm not What's even going to make a big deal about yeah, this. Yeah, we're not going to. it's just part of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. He's just one of the gang. Hey, Mike.
1: Can I be the bad nurse? And you can be the good nurse.
0: <laughs> Mike is the bad nurse, right. and I'm the good nurse. Perfect. <laughs> At least uh, I want to be the good nurse. Uh, you can be the bad nurse if you I want to. I got to accept be, right? my
1: lot in life. Okay, like <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just know better. That's the problem. Yeah. I know you better than that, so I know you're not. <laughs> we're both good nurses. That's why we're here, right? We want to spread the joy and the love to everybody. Yeah, yeah you
1: got to spread it around.
0: But we're here to talk about the bad nurses.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> definitely. Yes, I'm. I'm not exactly sure how this story weaves in a medical professional, but
0: it does, though.
1: Let me just tell you, like this was amazing. Mm -hmm. I usually, okay, let me confess, I usually read like halfway through of the stuff that Tina sends me before we we come to the show. But this one (laughs) had me hooked by like the mid- the middle of it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah. There's everything that's, it, it's crazy. That's a true story. It almost sounds like like a movie.
0: It really does. So, you guys, we're, we're just going to jump right into this story because there's a lot to it. And <laughs> I have a feeling I'm probably going to have to be reined back in, Mike. You're yeah. going to have to rein me in. You, don't have, you know how I am with my Tina Tangent. Yep. So, this is the story of the boys on the tracks. There are documentaries about it. There are lots of articles about this story because there's so many levels and facets to this story it's crazy and the level that it goes to is unbelievable i just it's pretty mind-blowing and it's very sad it's very very sad what happened but it is about the boys on the tracks so what happened is sort of like upfront. it you know it's not like you know we don't wait till the end to tell this because the what happened is sort of at the beginning of the story, mm-hmm. really. So around four o'clock in the morning on August 23rd in 1987. So a little back in the day yeah, that's when I was born. So, yeah, I was a little back in the day. And unfortunately, this is just horrific. What happened here? It's so sad. And for those of you who maybe don't like the details that are kind of a little harder to listen to, you might want to skip ahead a little because it is pretty bad. Tell it, Mike.
1: Okay, okay. So here's what happened, people. On a kind of like an abandoned uh, trainway, a 75-car train, 6,000-ton Union Pacific locomotive, to be very specific, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And you guys know Little Rock, Arkansas has been a place of a lot of political leaders. Anyways, two Mm -hmm. boys. At least least one. one. Yeah. Which we're alluding to the fact. Okay, so two boys are lying dead or motionless on the tracks, right? So those on the tracks claimed that they were wrapped in a green tarp. And nearby mm-hmm. was a twenty-two caliber rifle, which if you guys don't know, it's like a rifle used to hunt squirrels. It's pretty much one of the deadliest because it doesn't have an exit wound in the body. It'll actually bing around your, um, your bones and it'll tear up your insides pretty bad. And there's a flashlight. And the bodies did not move when they blared the horn. Hmm. Though they stopped the train, they were unable to running over the bodies. As you guys know, like stopping a train, it takes miles sometimes just to get it to stop. And a 75 car, 6,000 tons. So anyways, these boys are run over at four forty. The local and state police arrive at the scene and begin a botched investigation. So at first, the officials they start treating the incident like a suicide, saying, Oh, these kids are just got run over by a train, right? But reportedly mm-hmm. no tarp was found by the police and they did not take in the 22 caliber rifle as evidence.
0: Yeah, they did take it in. They they found oh, the, they did. that rifle. Oh,
1: okay, okay, okay. Totally crazy. So that's the little intro. Which kind of caught me off guard because I'm like, ooh, this sounds like some shady business going on. But anyways, Tina.
0: Yeah, because, you know, you think about it. You're an engineer on a train. It's in the middle of the night or early in the morning, really. And I'm sure they don't expect to see anyone out. There's probably very few cars crossing roads and that sort of thing. So they probably don't have to deal with a whole lot. I can imagine during the day. They probably are like you come up on a road and you're blaring your horn, trying to let people know, "Hey, we're coming." People are crazy when it comes to trains, mm-hmm. and um, they see this two boys or two bodies mm-hmm. laying, you know, across the tracks. Apparently, they were laying parallel to each other and. Their head uh, heads were up against one side of the track, and then their feet were crossing oh, over man. the other side. Yeah, and so they start blaring on their ho- on their horn because they know they know they don't have time to stop. But they're just hoping that, th- that they will hear them and get out of the way. They didn't budge. They didn't flinch. They didn't a- make any sort of movement whatsoever. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, a red flag there, right? I mean, yeah. Even if someone was trying to commit suicide, and people do that with trains. People do try to take their own Mm -hmm. life by jumping in front of a train or laying on the tracks or whatever. So it's not like it's impossible that that would be happening. And even maybe two people at the same time, it may be possible. But could two people, two 16-year-old boys, lay down and decide, okay, this is how we decide to commit suicide at 4 o'clock in the morning, then not flinch? Both of them have the nerve that it would take to lay there motionless as a train is coming toward you. I'd say probably not. It's very unlikely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were actually best friends, Kevin Ives and Don Henry. And this was 1987. And we're still talking about this today because it is a very controversial story. And what happened to them, the reason that this is a – sort of like bad nurse story. It's really a bad doctor story. We're talking about another medical examiner because we've talked about medical examiners before on this podcast. And I have a feeling I'm going to be talking a lot about them in the future because this happens more than anyone really realizes. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about the death penalty. We've talked about People giving false testimony, prosecutors having witnesses on the stand that are lying.
1: I think the craziest part is like, who can you trust if your leaders and people who are supposed to be upstanding citizens and trying to do an investigation to see an autopsy, Mm. if they're the ones that are lying and even people on the. Who are testifying or lying, like who can be trusted at the end of the day?
0: That's the problem. I think that a lot of people, myself included, have always put faith in the prosecution and that side of the law. And we assume if someone is on trial for something, that there must be a lot of evidence against that person. There must be a really good reason, or the prosecutor would not be bringing charges against that person. That the police wouldn't lie. Why would they? What purpose could that possibly serve? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we put all of our faith in the criminal justice system. And I've done way too many stories now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. my faith is dwindling, honestly. It's like, it really it's like oh, yeah,
1: the bad guys are the bad guys and the good guys are the good guys. Yeah. So
0: It's not always the not case, all. unfortunately. I think that the vast majority of law enforcement – Officers are good people, well intentioned, mm-hmm. but I definitely think there are, are a lot of bad apples out there that things like this happen all the time. And so this week's bad, quote, bad medical professional that we're talking about is Dr. Fahmy. It's, it's spelled F-A-H-M-Y. Malik, M-A-L-A-K. Oh, Malik. He was the medical examiner that, yeah, that was, due, that was over this case mm-hmm. from the beginning. So. He actually ruled the boy's death up front as an apparent suicide. Hmm. The thing is, they had been out hunting late that Saturday night, and their parents were looking for them. So there was this sort of thing that would happen with them a couple of times where one of them would say, oh, I'm going to be at this person's house. And the other would say, he's going to be at that person's house. And really, they're both out just doing whatever they wanted to (laughs) do. And so then the parents would end up calling each other like, hey, do you know where where so-and-so is, and they would be like, I thought it was at your house. And so they they were typical 16-year-old boys, oh, you know, They would man. just see what they could get away with. They were good kids. It was just they were typical 16-year-old boys, mm-hmm. okay? The thing is that it, they had, both of their parents were very concerned about them, and they were looking, were out looking for them, trying to figure out, you know, what's going on? They, they're supposed to be here. So on Monday, local officials did contact the families, the Ives and the Henry families, and uh, the two boys had been identified conclusively through dental records. And so but Dr. Fami Malik ruled that that, that was uh, an apparent suicide. But then a week after they were buried, their parents were summoned to the office of the state medical examiner. Malik said that there were two accidental deaths due to THC into- intoxication. So he changed it from suicide to accidental death. Oh, yeah. And what he said was the boys had smoked enough marijuana that they simply fell asleep on the tracks the night before being run over.
1: Okay, well, here's the deal in the 80s. Yeah. Obviously,
0: people didn't know about marijuana. But yeah, everything bit, was
1: like, they? oh, it's dope. And dope is the same thing as, like, you know, benzos and all these other sedatives mm-hmm. and opioids that can really mm-hmm. knock you out. And basically, like fentanyl, I like, can just stop your heart. No one really yes. knew, like, oh, yeah, THC is, you know, you're still coherent. And no one's, I don't think mm-hmm. even today, has ever overdosed on THC or edibles or anything. Yeah. You probably feel like you're dying. But.
0: Mm. Uh, I've never heard of anyone doing marijuana. Yeah to <laughs> the point that they literally passed out and were incoherent and literally a train could be coming toward them yeah. and they would not be able to wake up
1: and what they say and there was like they smoked one or two joints maybe and went hunting and yeah. they were going on a hunting trip so mm-hmm. hmm.
0: yeah it's just not consistent really with what so this get, this medical
1: examiner is already changing his story like boom an immediate mm-hmm. oh you're suicide oh by the way I haven't even done an autopsy yet or whatever. And bam, oh, yeah, guess what? The toxicology might say something about THC. So this is like a really shifty doctor.
0: And the local authorities, the sheriff's office, the people that were investigating, they didn't question his findings. They didn't find that at all mm. concerning. Interesting. They thought, "Oh, we'll accept that." The parents, however, they for one thing it didn't make s- they knew their their boys, their their sons were not had not committed suicide. That they knew, but then also they knew that it didn't make sense what the medical examiner was saying. Yeah. So it actually motivated them to tr- to start their own investigation. Mm-hmm. And that's really because of the parents of these boys. It's really s- kind of stayed out there in the media because they've been relentless wanting to find answers about what happened to them. But Malik was actually accused by his own staff of doing some pretty crazy things when it uh, this is Mm -hmm. dr malik the uh, medical examiner he was accused of doing some pretty crazy things there was a lot of first of all there were several cases that he presided over or that um he was responsible for that uh, ultimately were called into question Mm -hmm. obviously this is one there was a case where a man in a prison had been found hanged and it was ruled an accident. Oh,
1: like
0: right. <laughs> there was a couple of other cases like that. A man apparently had been dead for a while in his house before he was found. They found the man. The autopsy was performed, and it was deemed as a result. His death was as a result of, his, of an ulcer, of a gastric ulcer. Okay. You can bleed to death from an ulcer. There's no doubt about that. A GI bleed mm-hmm. happens. All right. The problem is this man's head was severed.
1: Oh my gosh!
0: <laughs> but the GI bleed was the problem. I mean, this guy—something is oh up. Gosh. Well, here's this was his this was his answer to that particular, just kind of as a little Tina tangent. Mm-hmm. His answer to why he ruled that as a the d- cause of death being the GI bleed from the ulcer was his his body did light. And this is gross again, guys. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. Ahead, you can skip, skip ahead, ahead if you need to, but. Um, his body had laid there for a while, okay, um, after he passed away. This was according to Dr. Malik. And he had a dog in his house. And apparently, with the dog being there, maybe he wasn't being fed, tish- human tissue was found in the dog's stomach. Mm. And so, what Dr. Malik was trying mm-hmm. to say is that the dog severed the head. The problem is that the where the head was severed, it was a clean cut. There was no... Yeah.
1: What Tina's tangent is trying to say is that this yep. is a shady medical examiner that seems yes. to be like working on the inside for people's own interests.
0: It's like yeah. he can make a medical diagnosis. He can make a cause of death be whatever, whatever you, you, want. you want it to be.
1: Yeah, it's a stub toe. But your head is clean off your shoulders. Hmm. That's a thing. Yes. So, anyways, it says that the medical examiner was accused of having his own staff keeping out of mm-hmm. date lab stationery.
0: hmm He would keep stationery that had previous dates on it, so that he could then, like, right before court, yeah, he could fabricate a report that looked like it was created weeks before. Dang. And what I'm, what I'm assuming you know, how would this benefit someone who was trying to be dishonest and help one side or the other? Well, I guess as time goes on, more and more evidence comes mm-hmm. out. So if you're able to then go back in time and make an autopsy look a little different to match what this new evidence shows mm-hmm. then that can you can play that to your benefit and I think that's what maybe he was doing he was keeping this old dated stationery so that he could then make it look like you know several weeks ago I did this autopsy and it showed this Dang.
1: he's just playing the shuffle game the the shell game mm-hmm. shuffling around evidence yeah
0: he was definitely of the character that he could be bought oh yeah and if you think about this situation two 16 year old boys hit by a train, in the middle of the night, early morning, lying perfectly still, not moving. And then he wants to call it a suicide and then say it's an accident Mm -hmm. because they overdosed on on marijuana and we're –
1: Off of two joints and now he's going to – yeah.
0: I think in 1987 that would fly because people probably didn't know as much about it and people would be like, oh, no, marijuana. You know, I think about that. It wasn't
1: even – nowhere was it legalized. Maybe Amsterdam. I don't even know when that happened. But now it's legalized everywhere pretty much.
0: Yeah, definitely not in the United States.
1: Yeah. Okay, so talk about the hospital where the boys were taken and examined. Here's the tricky part: the hospital that you uh, you think the hospital, right? At least, is the best place for them to be. And this this yeah. botched uh, medical examiner kept no records of their presence there. Hmm, that's another tick on the box.
0: The EMT that showed that EMTs that showed up to the original scene, though, they said, you know, people. These EMTs that show up to these horrific scenes all the time, to car accidents, to house fires, to obviously tra- you know, people hit by trains, all sorts of incidents like this. They're used to seeing people who have literally just been killed mm-hmm. and they know the difference mm-hmm. between, you know, someone who's just been killed and what that blood looks like versus what the blood looks like of someone maybe who had been killed hours earlier. Oh,
1: yeah. Because, yeah, the blood like… I forget what it's called, but it goes dependent in the body. So that your blood will mm-hmm. actually start accumulating on the bottom of your body. And that's, yeah. So the EMT said that it looked like uh, the bodies lacked oxygen yes. and obviously raised questions if these two boys were already dead, which everyone knows they were before the train hit them. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, that's the thing that the EMTs are, are, are saying these. And in fact, one case, one uh, account that I read said that the EMTs thought that the bodies looked like mannequins, mm. that they had been pro- probably had been dead you know, definitely for at least a, an hour or so. Mm. It definitely had not just happened. Mm. Interesting. So in March of 1988, the parents announced that Dr. James Garrett of San Antonio, Texas, had given a second opinion of Dr. Malik's findings. And he concluded that it was highly unlikely for any amount of THC exposure to have the effects that Dr. Malik had alleged and that the only truly reliable test for the presence of drugs in the boy's systems, which would be mass spectrometry, had not been performed. Another toxicologist, Dr. McBray of North Carolina, said that Dr. Malik's conclusions were, quote, very bizarre. Very bizarre. He had never heard of anyone becoming unconscious from exposure to any amount of THC. THC I haven't heard of that either (laughs) so you think that that at least one of these at least one even if even if one of them had had some bizarre reaction to the marijuana Mm -hmm. at least one of them would have from just the vibration from the train from a mile away over a mile away they would probably have Yeah. yeah yeah and the blaring of the the horn and all of those things at least one of them should have Lynch should have made some sort of, of of movement, motion, something, and there was nothing.
1: It's not even the boys on the tracks that bothers me so much as there's two different medical examiners that are looking at the first shady Malex medical examination yes. or his botched uh, investigation, mm-hmm. and they're frowning on it saying like, oh, man, it's very bizarre. He didn't even run the amount of tests that you should run or the correct test. Mm-hmm. I wonder what they would say about his other previous <laughs> his previous work that would have been interesting.
0: It, I know that if I were a pr- if I were a prisoner and I was ser- were serving time Gosh. and he was the medical examiner that worked my oh, case, man. I would be beating down the door of, of the judge. That's so yeah. trying to get yeah. a retrial or something. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Because there's no doubt that this guy's integrity um, should be called in- into question if it hasn't been. Mhm. So the boys' parents are not going to stop looking for answers. They're not going to accept that their bo- their sons just uh, had been out hunting and then happened to, to smoke enough marijuana to knock them out and then be mm-hmm. accidentally hit by a train. The sheriff, uh, James Steed, repeatedly told the n- local newspaper that there was nothing at the tracks that night to suggest that it was nothing more than a quote strange accident but mm. linda ives uh, the mother of kevin ives criticized his administration in a letter that she published so she was they were going to the media so that mm-hmm. that was the only okay how, that
1: was the only outlet well, yeah. how
0: frustrating would this be and how vulnerable would you feel I can only imagine if my ch- something happened to one of my children and I go to the police and I feel like the police are giving me the runaround they're lying to me it almost seems corrupt just because how is it that they're believing these bizarre you know this bizarre scenario? So I'm not getting any answers from them. Mm-hmm. They're not taking me seriously. What else do you, what other recourse do you have? But to go to the media and say, I got to get my story yeah. out there somehow. And that's what they did. Blow the whistle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it ended up getting them a new hearing and they looked into the death again. So six months after the incident, they had a three-day long hearing. It was held in the, um, there in, in Benton. And Dr. Malik's ruling of, quote, an accidental death was overturned and then Mm. yeah so february 26 1988 five days after the hearing the cause of death was changed from accidental to undetermined so at least they're making making some progress yeah Mm -hmm. and only because the the parents are just being relentless about it and just refusing to just sit back and accept what they're saying yeah Mm -hmm. mm-hmm
1: mm-hmm And it's like, dang, who do you trust? It's like, you're always looking at over your shoulder this entire time. It's like, oh,
0: yes. I feel like they were very brave to continue to move forward and push forward Mm -hmm. to try to find answers because they had to be scared. Oh, man. Yeah. If you just stop and think about what must have happened, you know, and, and there's some things that we'll talk about as we get into the story. But you're fighting against the police department. So Yeah. that's (laughs) And even
1: the lawyers Mm -hmm. and even the medical examiner. Right. And yeah, even that sheriff.
0: It seems like you're just
1: told them with withdrawal, everything from this newspaper. Yeah.
0: It seems like you're fighting an uphill battle and yet they refuse to back down. So in April of 1988, a grand jury did rule their deaths, a quote, probable homicide. So they're making pretty good progress here. But the problem is. From the very beginning, when this first happened, when the when the police showed up at the scene, even though the crew of the train was saying uh, there was a tarp over them, they didn't move. They never treated it the crime scene as though it could possibly be anything other than an accident or or a suicide. So they didn't really secure the scene and secure evidence. Look for all of the evidence that could possibly be there. They just treated it like well this is just a suicide or yeah. an accident it
1: seemed like it was ready to determined before and think mm-hmm. about it they really botched all the evidence either way and they didn't even <laughs> they didn't even take an invoice of like oh this guy was at the hospital doing getting an autopsy so the entire thing was just pre-planned I yeah it, it,
0: it seems yeah. like that it seems like seems going it, yeah. into it the investigators mm-hmm. kind of already knew what they mm-hmm. were going to say how they were mm-hmm. going to handle it And if you are an investigator and you're kind of in the back pocket of someone else or somehow involved in a situation like this, well, then it would make sense to act that way, right? Because you Mm -hmm. want to botch the investigation. You want to mess up the the crime scene and not um, keep the integrity of the evidence because you don't – because it's going to probably go against you or the people that Mm -hmm. you're working for. Of course. So, the sheriff – Despite the fact that now the grand jury has decided that their deaths, you know, uh, was most likely a homicide, the sheriff mm-hmm. refused to allow any funds to go toward the investigation. And of course, you have to have money put behind this before you can, yeah. you know, have people working on it, trying to to solve the case. He also lied about where. He had sent the boys' clothes for examination. So it was reported that he sent the clothes to Arkansas State Crime Lab, not to the Federal Bureau of Investigation like he was supposed to do. Hmm. So if he is working for the state of Arkansas, or he's you know, he's a sheriff, and let's say, I don't know, let's just throw out a hypothetical. There's maybe a state official high up in the state of Arkansas. I'm not going to name any names, but <laughs> 1980s, high up. Mm, what would be a high up political office? Let's say governor. I don't know. Let's just throw that okay, out there.
1: Okay. All right.
0: Um, And he's w- wanting maybe that uh government, the local government or the state government to be able to handle this situation rather than yeah. federal. They don't want the FBI getting involved because they don't have control over that. Right.
1: Yeah. So pulling the strings, maybe. Mm
0: hmm. That's how it feels. Playing
1: the puppeteer. Okay.
0: Definitely feels that way.
1: And we are back here, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be talking about who this mystery governor was that's pulling the strings behind the scenes with this puppeteering of all the law enforcement and legal. And by the way, they don't want to get the FBI involved because that's a whole other bureau that is outside the governor's jurisdiction of this little town here in Arkansas. Anyways.
0: Right. And I think that by now, I'm sure... I don't know. A lot of our listeners are a little younger, so maybe yeah, they true. probably are going. Huh? What? We're gonna
1: we're gonna fill you on the details.
0: We're gonna fill you in. So there was a governor of our, the governor of Arkansas, uh, back in the day in the '80s was Bill Clinton, and he was. Oh man, you already said it. <laughs> he was obviously our president from 1992 to what 2000.
1: Mm-hmm. We'll we'll talk. We'll get in way deeper than this whole thing. We'll eventually
0: but, get to that. Oh, yes. What kind of what was going to just sort of as a little foreshadowing. That mm-hmm. is who the governor was of Arkansas at the time that kind of all yep. this was going on. All right, let's do it. So the, the grand jury did uh, rule their deaths a probable, probable harm, homicide. And you would think, oh, well, then this is going to just spark a huge investigation. And uh-huh. this is going to get to the bottom of it. But in fact, of course, it didn't happen. And the, the sheriff refused to put any money toward the investigation. And not only that, but the sheriff was doing a little bit of kind of underhanded things like not sending the boys clothing for examination to the FBI like you was supposed to instead sending it to the state level. So the, f- the focus of the investigations turned toward allegations that their deaths had something to do with drug trafficking. So apparently around this time, there was a lot of drug trafficking that was going on. It was sort of known that planes would come in. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the 80s, man. In the middle of the, the night, drop off huge mm-hmm. shipments. Yeah. And then the local, I guess, drug dealers. Isn't that crazy? I know.
1: But overseen by the local law enforcement as well as the governor.
0: I mean, think about there are drugs everywhere. And yeah. they have to come from somewhere. So mm-hmm. when it comes right down to it, someone's responsible uh, for this. And people at all levels of authority in politics mm-hmm. and everywhere else are susceptible to being corrupt and being.
1: This is just a perfect example yeah. of, of the fact.
0: So Steed, the the sheriff that was kind of doing all this underhanded stuff, okay, where he was like sending the clothes to the wrong place to be, you know, and and mm-hmm. going along with this ridiculous um, cause of death from the medical examiner. He ends up losing the election. And not become, you know, because this sheriff is a uh, it's an elected um, office. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he lost the election because the the people in the in this county are going. No one can believe what is happening. They know these two boys. This is a small town. It's a small county. It's a rural area in Arkansas, and so. Everyone knows this is a couple of sixteen, seven-year-old boys that were out hunting, maybe doing some marijuana. Big deal. But how in the heck did something like this happen? And why would the medical examiner say it was an accident? And why would the sheriff, you know, like everyone in this whole area knows this doesn't make any sense? So of course he doesn't get reelected. Thank goodness. Otherwise, the whole county would have to be involved in this, right? Hmm. So. Um sorry, hold on. I'm losing my place. Okay. Keith McCaskell. Uh let's see here. Okay, right. So two days after the sheriff lost the election, Keith McCaskill, who was one of uh he was an informant in the case, who was asked to take aerial photographs of the crime crime scene, he was murdered.
1: Oh snap! Yes, he was. So the guy was supposed mm-hmm. to get more information about this botch case after this dirty sheriff was removed. Boom, murdered.
0: Yes, and he's he is the first of many, many mm-hmm. people. I mean, these poor young boys were obviously the very first people who were um, in this in this story, obviously victim uh, of this ridiculous um scenario but this guy was the first in a series of witnesses to this event who would who would end up being murdered um this went on several times people who knew what was going on or had a perspective um ended up murdered or disappearing um on January 22nd, 1989, 26-year-old Greg Collins, who had been called to testify before the grand jury, died from three shot- shotgun blasts to the face.
1: Oh, snap. Mm-hmm.
0: Weeks before, um, his friend Keith Coney, who was also called to testify to the grand jury, died in a motorcycle accident.
1: Huh. So all these people are supposed to testify, bring evidence, Are of uh, hmm. now everyone's dying all of a sudden.
0: I mean... It's just Snap. all I'm doing is reading what happened. The
1: dominoes are falling, they ladies really and gentlemen.
0: Are. So March 1989, another uh, person who had received a subpoena uh, to, ap- to appear before the grand jury. His name was Daniel Bearden. He went by Boone or Booney. He disappeared as well. Hey. Um, another death uh, supposedly connected with the case. 21 uh, year old Jeffrey Edward Rhodes. His body was found in a landfill in April of 1989. Yes. The deaths were ruled homicides in March of 1990 after yet another investigation, but um, no arrests. No arrests in any of these cases.
1: Wow. I mean... Two and a half years go by. Three years.
0: I'm not one to believe in conspiracy theories. You know, I don't have the aluminum foil in my head or anything like that. I'm just, you know... But this is bizarre this is out there i it's kind of hard to deny mm-hmm. that there had been something going on i'm not i'm not gonna you know
1: yeah anyone that gets close to bringing more evidence or testifying or talking about this ends mm-hmm. up dead or disappeared or accidentally in a motorcycle accident this is weird
0: yes so dr mm-hmm. malik resigned four years after the deaths of kevin iveson and don henry He he resigned mm-hmm. in 1991 so Governor Bill, Clint- Governor Bill Clinton's presidential campaign, of course, is starting around this time. He, in fact, he was, was he not um, elected in 92? I want to say yeah, it was
1: two years before, well, actually a year before. So, yeah, yeah. presidential campaigns underway. Mm-hmm. And here we go.
0: Yeah, in 1994 there was a propaganda video that was released called the the Clinton Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And it tried to connect Bill Clinton to uh several different crimes and whether or not, I mean I'm not going to go out here and say that I know what's going on or I certainly don't want to be <laughs> I don't want to be on someone's list because I don't know anything. I'm just After repeating. After you release
1: this podcast, you're going to be on the list.
0: Well, we have a nursing shortage, people. So, please. Yeah,
1: yeah. Come on. You can't do this. Maybe.
0: Maybe <laughs> we can. I don't know. But the deaths of these two poor boys were among those that Bill Clinton was supposedly connected to in this video that was released. That was, you know, kind of, in, it was sort of indicated there that, let's say it was insinuated. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Clinton Chronicles did advance the conspiracy theory that while governor of Arkansas, Bill Clinton had a connection to a scandal involving large shipments of cocaine, guns, and money from Central America passing through Arkansas at the in Mena Intermountain Municipal Airport. So, where it was sort of well known in the area that planes would come flying through the air in the middle of the night and make these. Random drops. And in fact, at some at one point, supposedly, law enforcement would try they would try to stake out the area to, tr- to try to catch these pl- people you know, in these planes stopping and the, everything exchanging. So then the planes would just not actually stop, they would just get really low and make these drops and then Keep going. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not it had anything to do with Bill Clinton, now, one of the things that we definitely know in this day and age, this was this was back in the day. And I think I feel like back then people were a little bit more gullible when it came to when it comes to, dare I say, fake news or whatever people want to call yeah, it.
1: Or conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Something like that.
0: Right. But I feel like we do need to leave it open for the for the possibility that this. What if it's the completely opposite? What if the there is a whole other group of people out there who are not on the side of the Clintons who want to make the Clintons it's, look like this, and who are just working really hard to try to make them look guilty of all of this stuff?
1: I it's mean, the Illuminati, maybe. Right. No,
0: <laughs> they're they're just. It's. I don't know that we can believe. It's I don't a know
1: tangled if- web.
0: Can we know? I mean, we're just like Tina. We don't really know? Can Tina, f- in her <laughs> garage studio, doing her little podcast, and then going to off to her bedside nursing on the weekends? Can Tina know? I don't think so.
1: Yeah, it's like it's uh, that's the Scooby Doo files, right?
0: <laughs> right. That's, uh, that's me. Beginner's I'm Scooby. Nurse. I'm just Scooby. Yeah, yeah, Nurse Scooby.
1: So I will say that it's speculated that these boys who were out hunting in the middle of the night, yeah, telling their parents they were over each other's houses smoking right? some pots. They're just like, oh. Oh, yeah, they stumbled upon this shipment that fell out of the sky and end up somehow dead. Yeah, that's a speculation. That
0: is a pretty popular speculation, in fact. And I think that if you really I mean, if you just kind of look, kind of take a step back from all of this and think about what happened. And you have a 16 year old, 17 year old boy who do this all the time, go hunting. They're used to being out in the woods. They go out in the woods near the the tracks there is, there have been a couple of different accounts from people who were in the area at the time. So there are some people who claim, so there's one man who says that he was at a local bar and he left in the middle of the night. He had had seven or eight beers. He's had a history of having a DWI. So he's a little nervous about this. Okay. He's driving down the road, sees an unmarked police car, Pulls over and it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to get caught, you know, with another DWI or DUI, whatever you want to call it. And he's sitting there with his lights off, but he can see this unmarked police car. He sees some things happening. He sees two boys that he described the way that he described them would fit these two boys um, Hmm. perfectly. He also sees the police officers kind of being rough on them kind of roughing them up, throwing them up, throwing them up against the wall and, I mean, hitting them, beating them up, just being really, really brutal to them. And then eventually mm-hmm. throwing them in the back seat and he, he sees what he thinks is maybe a rifle that gets thrown into the car as well. And then they go down what he knows is a dead end street. So he continues to sit there because he's, he's thinking, okay, that's a dead end street. They're going to come out any minute now. And he's afraid to take off because he's, had seven or eight beers and he doesn't want to get another dui so he continues to just sit there quietly um Mm. thinking okay they're going to come out they're probably going to realize they're at a dead end turn around and come out well it takes like 15 or 20 minutes and then finally the the men the the police car comes out um and they say that this, this person says that they can't tell whether or not the boys were in the car or not and it was um kind of you know obviously dark and uh so this is one story there's another story of another person who says that they were out looking for their significant other thinking that the, their significant other was having an affair so they're like kind of like being on the down low in their car um trying to see if their significant others having an affair good lord why people come on if this is if you have to do this are it's they like really worth cheaters,
1: it? You know? I mean, yeah. are they worth
0: it? Why do you care? If that's
1: the history, you know, who's going to get the dog? that's the thing. If you don't care. Right? No. Oh,
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I digress. But anyway, <laughs> this is what this person was doing. But then they accidentally see some shady stuff. Oh, going on. snap. Yeah. That's their story that they they see police officers. Uh, one person said that that they were hiding in the bushes. So there's there's a few different accounts. Okay. Mm hmm. All of these accounts came out very reluctantly. No one was just jumping at the, you know, (laughs) chomping at the bit to tell this story. Everyone was scared to death. And then people were just like, oh, my gosh, this is really bothering me. And they're like telling like something that is super close to them.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, think about it. Five people who are supposed to testify or bring evidence end up dying or disappearing. I wouldn't want to say anything either. Like, I'm nervous even doing this podcast. So
0: (laughs) I know. I'm kind of getting scared myself. But the thing is, (laughs) does it not sound legitimate? I mean, do you think someone's going to make this up knowing they're afraid for their own life just to be talking to someone that they really trust about the police, that they saw the police doing this? One account was that they were hiding in the bushes and that they saw three men near the railroad tracks, grown men. They described them as men. And then they saw two other figures coming the opposite direction on the railroad tracks. And it looked as though the two Figures coming from the opposite direction were almost like going to go back the other way. Like, oops, I saw something I shouldn't see. Turn around, Mm -hmm. make a U-turn, let's pretend like they didn't see us kind of thing. And then then the other three figures were like, hey, come back here.
1: Oh, snap.
0: Right. These are stories that came out um, a year or so later. And they came out because someone was like, talking to a relative or talk you know like i can't take Mm -hmm. i can't keep this in my head anymore i gotta tell somebody kind of thing it's not like Mm -hmm. oh i'm just bragging about it it's like i'm scared for my life but i can't keep this in anymore i gotta tell someone and so a lot of people believe that what happened to these two boys young men it just makes me so sad i mean i have a 16 year old so i just they're babies they're babies and they're just out trying to have fun you know Maybe they're mm-hmm. whatever that they're children and maybe they happen upon something they're not supposed to see and whoever it True. is doesn't want any witnesses. I think that's kind of what's understood, you know, that happened in general.
1: So after the parents hire their own investigator and lawyers, right? Yes. Apparently this lawyer that they ha- that the parents hired um, ends up convicted of something Yeah. of racketeering ex Conspiracy, extortion, drug possession
0: right.
1: with an intent to distribute in 1997. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. His name was Harmon was his last name. And I know that he had represented them. And here they are thinking this is one person on their side. But, mm-hmm. but he was convicted of racketeering, conspiracy, extortion, drug possession, intent to distribute.
1: Now, do you think that this is like a botched case thrown on him just to get him off the case? Like, just to extract him from this?
0: It almost feels like, you know, this happened. There's probably something going on for that was just, this happened all the time in this town. These two poor boys mm. came along, just being 16-year-olds, doing their thing, see something they shouldn't see, and they have to pay the ultimate price for it. And then there's all this cover-up that happens, and part of that cover-up maybe was, let's, let's steer this you know, this um, attorney toward the parents make them think that he's on their Mm. side, but maybe really, in fact, they're, he's kind of,
1: that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's an interesting theory.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So yeah, let's, let's steer this, uh, this, what's it called? Um, Defective lawyer that we already have some dirt on toward the parents and kind of be the Trojan horse to think that he's helping us, but he's not really.
0: Right. I mean, what better way, to kind of make sure things go the way you want to, than to have yeah someone like on your case. side act like yeah. they're on their side, you know,
1: makes sense.
0: And some things happened like during the investigation. So whenever they tried to get evidence reexamined, for example, mm-hmm. the original medical examiner, Doctor Malik, our bad doctor. It's kind of, it's easy to kind of overlook him, but he he may he played a huge role in this whole thing. And it this like I said, this wasn't the only only case, but Then another medical exam, the parents are like, let's get someone else to look at this. So another medical examiner pathologist comes along and they test, they do, they run some tests and they're like, oh no, what the first person says, that's exactly right. Well, they actually end up getting someone from Atlanta, Dr. Burton, a Dr. Burton, who is a reputable pathologist from Atlanta. They had the latest technology to be able to, to test with and that doctor came back and and of course he has no ties whatsoever to this whole community to the to the entire state of arkansas and and he says uh no this is ridiculous he's the one that kind of put a stop to all of that like i don't know what you guys are smoking but (laughs) you know yeah.
1: speaking of smoking yeah yeah did did he ever ended up was he did he he didn't like end up disappearing did he
0: i don't think that i don't think that he did no
1: okay okay snap
0: The fact is that everybody knows, if you look the story up, there are so many stories. Everyone knows what really happened here. It's not like, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately, nothing ever really came of it. No one ever really paid the price for those boys for their deaths. And Mm -hmm. that's really sad and unfortunate. I'm sure that there were a lot of people involved with this that didn't sleep well at night because they were probably worried that at any time. It could be found out because those parents were relentless in their uh-huh. pursuit of the truth. And that's, to me, that's the kind of the only thing that kind of helps me to, to feel a, a little bit better about it. Because when it comes right down to it, it was unresolved. It's been on unsolved mysteries. And there was no resolution to this. They didn't go and find the person that did it or bring to justice the people who were responsible. But but at the end of the day, those two boys, were. they did not commit suicide. And it was not an accident because their skulls were crushed in. One of their skulls were, had been crushed in. The other one had a stab wound in his back. They found, oh, um, snap. yeah, there was a shirt that was his shirt that was not on his torso when his torso was found that had a, a stab wound through it and had blood on it, but the, the, the shirt was not on him. So if you have a, a shirt that's found somewhere away from the crime scene, has a stab wound, has blood on it. So clearly the cut was not made from the train. There was just so much evidence that showed that this was not an accident. It was not it was certainly not suicide, but it, it was not an accident either. Those boys were dead when they were laid on, that tra- on those tracks and who it was. I guess we don't know for sure, but it's really unfortunate what happened to them. It's sad.
1: The last interesting tidbit that you have here: mm-hmm. a WWF <laughs> wrestler. Yeah. So okay. So fast forward. This was '97, right? Fast forward twenty. We're almost forty years away. It's yeah. Maybe what is it? Thirty-five years now. Mm-hmm. In 2018, February, a former WWF wrestler. You remember? You know, The Rock, Steve Austin, all those people. Right. Jake. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> so, Billy Jack Haynes had recorded a video testimony in which he claimed to witness the murder of those two boys
0: yeah.
1: while providing security for a drug trafficking drop in 1987.
0: I guess he was from that area.
1: Dang, that's crazy. Isn't he kind of incriminating himself, though, by saying, like, oh, I was a part of this drug trafficking ring? And-
0: I know. I don't know that. <sighs> so, some that's accounts that i read, uh, most accounts that I read. Like put that in there as like a little end note, like, by the way, Billy Jack Haynes, I think I'll, most people think that there are credibility issues with his story and think that maybe he's trying to get attention. But my thing yeah, is maybe. like, that's some crazy attention you're trying to get because you really are implicating yourself when it comes right down to it. You're saying you were providing security yeah. for drug trafficking and that a murder took place. There is no statute of limi- statute of limitations on murder Mm. and if you're standing there providing security while this happens how could you i don't know well i guess that does it for our bad doctor story what a crazy story oh my goodness this is
1: it's pretty intense this is a deep rabbit hole
0: it's another story that was sent to me by a listener who said hey the the story of the boys on the tracks and i was like the boys on the tracks like what could that possibly have to do with medical kind of like what you were saying mike they were like
1: Yeah, I'm like, what? Hey,
0: the boys on the track. I'm like, I know I fully am aware of the boys on the tracks. I've heard that done by so many different. Yeah, because I I love True Crime Garage and I love My Favorite Murder and they've talked about it. And all these different podcasts, true crime, like any true crime podcast worth their salt is going to do this story because it's a very popular story in the true crime. Because, I mean. Look at all of the different levels that it has. And you, it's a story that you want to get out there because it's unsolved. You want to keep it out, you know, in front of people, keep people thinking about it. Maybe more. Some other witness will come forward. Um, I'm sure that the uh, the family of these boys, I don't care how long it's been, would love for somehow uh, the truth to come out about this and for someone to have to pay, even if no, no matter how old they are, you know. Having said that, we do have a good doctor story and well, a good
1: note, yes.
0: I know. We like to end it on a good note, don't we? We don't we don't like to to end on these sad, tragic yeah. stories because even though we do find people in the medical field who do horrible things because as we say, there's bad, bad apples in every profession. The vast majority of healthcare professionals are wonderful people and do amazing things all the time. This week's person that we're going to be talking about actually wasn't a medical doctor. But I wanted to talk about him anyway, because what he did imp- has impacted medicine, and patients and people and lives so much that you have to talk about him. He has to be talked about. This is uh, the story of Dr. Vivian Thomas. And first of all, I just to say this, I didn't realize the, the name Vivian was could be a man. I didn't yeah, it's it's a
1: uh, French for Vivian. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, oh am <laughs> just messing around.
0: I would just believe you. I don't know. I mean, heck, I don't know.
1: Vivian, yeah. Vivian. It's, it does sound pretty interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. His middle name is Theodore. Vivian
1: T. Thomas. Vi- what is LLD? Laboratory.
0: Licensed laboratory. Dang it! I can't make theory. it. I can't make anything up. I can't think. Diagno- diagnostician.
1: This was interesting because he reminds me a lot of. Um, I want to say Ben Carson. We mm-hmm. talked about this. Yes. Who was like the um, mm-hmm. uh, neurosurgeon that actually ran the election uh, like four years ago in 2016. Yeah. And um, we
0: need to do him. But this guy, as a, as a good yeah, doctor. We really need to. we'll him. come back and do him for sure.
1: But I think this guy is a more interesting story because I think what Tina was saying is that he kind of founded um, cardiac, basically. The medicine of cardiac surgery without actually being a doctor he was just that talented he was a laboratory technician i'm fascinated
0: by this i'm so fascinated. i'm just absolutely fascinated by this dr thomas i and they call him dr thomas i don't i wonder if maybe they have given him maybe an honorary an honorary doctorate degree
1: Mm -hmm. heck i would shoot
0: he was born in lake providence louisiana in 1910
1: 1910
0: he was the grandson of a slave and attended Pearl High School in Nashville. He graduated with honors from Pearl High School in 1929. And unfortunately, the stock market did crash. So he had to secure a job as a laboratory assistant in 1930 with Dr. Alfred Blaylock at Vanderbilt. Oh, yeah. So what actually happened is he wanted to go to medical school, but he wasn't able to go because the this- Stock market crashed and he lost his savings. So, yeah. he had to take a job as a laboratory assistant and he was working under Dr. Bladlock there at Vanderbilt. So, mm-hmm. he actually mastered complex surgical techniques and research methodology. Mm-hmm. The laboratory assistant.
1: Yeah. I mean, it says that his superior, Dr. Bladlock, was teaching him stuff, maybe mm-hmm. physiology. And, dude, this guy was, like, such a prodigy and talented person that he just mastered complex surgical techniques. Like, what?
0: Well, and, of course, this is a time when racism was sort of the norm. No one even questioned it. Yeah. You know, it was mm-hmm. just, that's just the way it was. So, oh yeah, he was classified and, and paid as a janitor, despite the fact that he was doing the work of a postdoctoral researcher in Dr. Blaylock's lab by the mid 1930s. And together, Dang. together, he and mm-hmm. he and Dr. Blaylock did research that was groundbreaking and the work later evolved into research on crush syndrome and saved the lives of thousands of soldiers on the battlefields of World War II.
1: It's fu- I just did the lecture on crushing syndrome. Really? With uh yeah, the hemorrhagic shock, shock and different types of shock. But I call it like crushing syndrome because like all your vital signs are crushed Mm -hmm. like everything kind of drops down and then your heart rate kind of goes up so that's pretty crazy i I didn't know it was that recent dang
0: yeah that's amazing so dr blaylock and vivian thomas the laboratory assistant they started experimental work in vascular and cardiac surgery okay i work on a cardiovascular ic intensive care unit okay i work directly with cardio uh, thoracic surgeons and vascular surgeons all the time. They they do amazing work. These people are highly intelligent, highly talented, highly skilled at what they do. And I'm taking care of their patients after they do, perform their surgery. And so I work pretty closely with them. And when you think about this guy, is a laboratory assistant to Dr. Blaylock, and yet he's working right alongside Dr. Blaylock and is working doing exper- experimental work in the very surgeries that I'm sure are probably being performed today. They didn't do surgery on the heart back then. This is not. Yeah. yeah. It's so
1: weird how to see like um, how fast or how far we've come in the medical field. Yeah. Because I know that we didn't even have most antibiotics by I think 19, early 60s or late 50s. We didn't even have ECGs on the ambulance. We couldn't even know if someone's having a heart attack until like I believe it was mid 90s or even some some counties, not even until 2000s. So I'm like, what? It's
0: crazy. <laughs> I don't think most people realize just yeah, how no, all no of realizes. this stuff has happened in the past, really, mm-hmm. last century.
1: Yeah, generation two, for sure.
0: Absolutely. So, it was uh, that work that laid the foundation for the life-saving sa- surgery that they performed at Johns Hopkins a decade later. By 1940, the work that he had done with Thomas placed him at the forefront of American surgery. And he was offered the position of chief of surgery at his alma mater, Johns Hopkins in 1941. Everybody knows Johns Hopkins. This is, you know, I mean, it is definitely one of the most popular institutions in the United States. He requested this doctor who was offered (laughs) the position of chief of surgery at Johns Hopkins in 1941 requested that Vivian Thomas not a doctor, a laboratory assistant, African American man
1: getting paid janitor salary.
0: Accompany him,
1: mm-hmm. that's pretty impressive. I that's know. pretty awesome. Yeah, that's like uh, who was it, uh, Frankenstein and his like and his co host, what
0: is his sidekick
1: <laughs> co host? Yeah, that's like Tina and his inner co host. <laughs> no, that's like Batman and Robin, man. That's so cool. Yeah, it just goes to show you how like race doesn't um take part in talent as well as life-saving maneuvers that that someone could be so intelligent yeah. so smart
0: well and what it really highlights to me is that imagine the talent and the intelligent the intellectuals and the people who could have there's no telling what could have been accomplished by now by people who have been oppressed over the years oh, yeah. they weren't given opportunities he happened to get I don't know, fall into a situation where it worked for him because he was around people who gave him those opportunities, who, who recognized him. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of, there probably were a lot of people who would just take advantage of that and take the credit. And, and yet when I looked up stories about, um, I'm just going to say Dr. Thomas, because let's be honest, he was a doctor, whether he had a piece of paper behind his name or not. When I looked up all the different accounts, Uh, of his story and what all he did one thing that kind of runs true as far as like a common thread is that doctors all over the world stop in awe of him and when it it's like they could be like busy doing this or that and if you mention him they will stop and be like oh yeah this guy was amazing so for him to have accomplished that there had to be people around him who really just looked past all of that yeah. you know
1: which is pretty crazy to think because during this era in 19 uh, sorry 1940s in world war ii yeah. it was like the united states was so segregated that african americans couldn't even fight in the war side by side with caucasians
0: yeah
1: or even what hispanics or asians or whatever but that was the craziest part it's like man and just to see how far the medical field has come as well as just to see how far The country has united in terms of like race. Mm -hmm. I know we're not there yet, but we're making huge strides, and I think that's pretty amazing just to see if we've we've come in two generations. So it's pretty awesome.
0: Well, there was a doctor, Dr. Helen Tausig.
1: Tausig, Dr. Helen. That's Dr. Helen.
0: She was a pediatric, a renowned pediatric cardiologist. She Mm -hmm. was looking for a surgical solution to a complex and fatal four-part heart anomaly called Tetralogy of Fallot, also Mm -hmm. known as Blue Baby Syndrome, as you well know about, Mike, because you talk about it a lot on your Oh, yeah. You know all about this.
1: Yeah, four different – they call it Tetralogy of Fallot because Tetra, like Tetris, is four boxes or basically four, the number four. So, you have four different cardiac defects in one. Mm -hmm. So, a bunch of holes in the heart, like four different – all mixed into one which is crazy to think because if you had this before 1940 or in that time no one's doing cardiac surgery or even open hearts before like the 1940s oh no so these babies are dead and there's nothing you can do about it so this is nuts.
0: and this pediatric cardiologist is looking for a surgical solution to this problem because she recognizes if a baby's born with this horrible condition there is, it's a, it's just, it's a fatal diagnosis. There's nothing that mm-hmm. they can do. So she's looking for an answer. So oh, no. basically what they, what they, they're like, okay, Vivian Thomas, the the lab assistant, we want you to take a dog.
1: Yeah, pretty much like recreate this entire mm. TOF spells.
0: Create this condition. <laughs> yeah. Blue baby. It's crazy. Make, yeah. make the dog have basically tetralogy of oh. flow. Then correct the condition by using pulmonary to subclavian anastomosis.
1: Oh, my gosh. Wow, how you say that?
0: In thinking okay. about pulmonary to subclavian, you know, think about anastomosis. We know that's combining different vessels depending on where it is in the body. But mm-hmm. I'm assuming that that's blood vessels, right? Combining them to try to get the blood flowing the right direction so that it gets oxygenated, right?
1: Dang. So, they're, they've <laughs> they've given the task to this – laboratory assistant to combine these to do surgery i mean poor dog let's just say that yeah but yeah just to do these surgeries which will save a lot of babies in the future
0: and they also know how intelligent this laboratory assistant really is for them to give him Mm -hmm. this responsibility yeah I mean, it's like, um, I know somebody who might be able to do this, and it's him. Mm-hmm. He is African-American uh, at a time when you're going to be paid a janitor's salary, and you're probably not going to get any recognition for what you do. But what does he do? Does he say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting paid a janitor's salary. I'm, I'm not going to have any part mm-hmm. of this. No, because nope. he loves what he does, and he wants to do it. So, he steps right up and goes, I'll do this. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. They always say that. The three ways to, to fail, complain, blame, and be ungrateful. So he doesn't do any of that. What he does, he stands behind the lead doctor and coaches him through the procedure, <laughs> how to do the surgery.
0: Yes. Oh,
1: my gosh. You're like holding the hands of the lead doctor. Like, hey. Oh,
0: my gosh.
1: That's crazy.
0: Two years, two years of laboratory work involving 200 dogs demonstrated. Oh man,
1: I thought you were going to leave that part
0: out. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh, I probably should because I did have someone that <laughs> that messaged me. You guys know I always try to read all of my emails and I did read one one time that someone's nice. like please. I know you always try to tell us whenever there's, um, you know, like sexual assault or something involving children. Could you please let me know when there's something involving animals because it really bothers me. So I actually wish I had said something now before. I'm sorry. But that's how he was able to come up with his groundbreaking uh, discovery because uh, he demonstrated that the corrective procedure was not lethal, persuading Dr. Blaylock that the operation could be safely attempted on a human patient. He was actually able to perform it correctly on a dog.
1: But the, the crazy part is that he's behind the lead. I know uh, cardiac surgeon. Oh yeah, telling him what to do. Oh yeah, like wow.
0: Well, yeah, because he did not it. Even, like, he did it. The the lead cardiac <laughs> surgeon is not the one that did it. He did it on the dog. So it means like
1: dang. But he
0: you would think that he That's he's crazy. the one that did it on the dog, he'd be the one doing it on, on the person on the actual human being, but he didn't mm. have the medical degree. So mm-hmm. it has to well, obviously be the doctor.
1: Yeah. I think that happens a lot though regardless of your race. Really? If you find something groundbreaking. Oh yeah, I, I, one of my anatomy instructors told me that. He was a PhD, blah blah, blah had a bunch of papers. And he invented a few different things, and the company took all the credit for it. Didn't even put his name on some no. of the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it happens a lot with when your assistant is working for an upper person. But that's what happened, right? Like these two doctors get featured on this American Medicine Association journal, and they get all the credit for it. Yeah. And, but but it is called what's it called the I don't want to say these names. Balloon and Tuskegee shunt that uh, that combines these two blood vessels. And there's no mention of Thomas. Didn't even get a, a shout out, you know? Yeah. In all of his writings.
0: Even though he's the one that did all of the experiments on the dogs, and mm-hmm. he's the one that was able to successfully perform it on a dog. And as you said, was able to basically stand on a step stool behind Dr. Blaylock and coach him through the procedure. When he did, it, when Dr. Blaylock mm-hmm. was able to do it correctly, when the, when it was published in the Journal of American Medical Association, uh, Dr. Blaylock and Dr. T- uh, Talsig received all of the credit for the quote, Blaylock. I wish they would change that because.
1: Thomas yeah
0: I feel like we've learned enough at this point in fact let's just make this the goal of, of this episode um to pu- push this agenda We're mess forward in Congress. well come on this yeah. is ridiculous
1: the principle it
0: is the principle mm-hmm. he definitely deserves to have his name on that there shouldn't be anyone else's name on it other than his as far as I'm concerned but yeah like you said he received no mention and even in dr Blaylock's writings he was never credited which that's sad why would why would that doctor not? credit him at least by saying, you know, well, I guess if he's arrogant enough, he wants to take all the credit. It
1: could have been him just trying to like bring him over to this new hospital. They got an upgrade promotion to be like, Hey, I need some help. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know.
0: Well, Thomas's surgical techniques um, included one that he developed in 1946 for improving Mm -hmm. circulation in patients whose great vessels, the aorta and the pulmonary artery were transposed. Dang yeah I mean these are these are massive operations. this is oh wow. imagine the lives this man has affected and what the, the, what oh, yeah. wonderful change that he's made, and yet, yeah, we just breeze on by it like it's nothing. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. So that is Dr. Thomas uh, as I will continue to to refer to him. That wraps it up for another week of good nurse, bad nurse, and I really appreciate hey. you coming on, Mike. This was so nice, so much fun. Always fun to have you on. I want you. We need to yeah, do this cool. more often.
1: I want you to join me on my new podcast Code yeah. Blue, Ooh. which I'll plug in here. Do it. Yeah. So I we're we're doing a, a new podcast which is sponsored by holly blue the first one and only social media app for nurses Mm -hmm. created by nurses it's kind of like a mixture of linkedin meets instagram meets like tinder okay but you can like there's like a lot of meetups before covid uh but it's really cool because only nurses are on there um and other medical medical professionals Mm -hmm. and uh it's called holly blue so go ahead guys and download it and join the simple nursing group and um we're just starting conversations in there yeah so it's cool
0: all right sounds good yes ma'am well you guys that wraps up another week of Good Nurse Bad Nurse. you guys know you can please email me with your stories I love getting story ideas from you send them to me I love it <laughs> tina at goodnursebadnurse.com you can go to goodnursebadnurse.com on our website and our episodes are there we have a Patreon account the break room where we put extra kind of like bonus clips in there that you can it's three dollars a month, and we're going to be putting some other things on there as well. Maybe some conversations with Kiki and I doing some studying for our CCRN exam.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that'd be cool.
0: You can find us on Instagram at Good Nurse Bad Nurse or GMBN Podcast at Twitter and Facebook. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, please be a good nurse. Yeah, for heaven's sake.
1: Okay. Greek, Charlie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, see you guys.